church, our God is holy, holy, holy. And He calls His people to also be holy. And this morning we have exalted God. And as we have exalted Him, it prepares our heart for the next portion of worship, which is instruction for God's people. And as we begin today, I have a picture of Jesus. It's a pretty popular picture. You could do a search for, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It is a reference from Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. There's many pictures like this, and you'll find them from the 60s, 70s, and and 80s. And, And here it is, Jesus is saying, let me in. Well, the door is shut, and on the other side, why? So I can save you. From what? From what I'm about to do if you don't let me in, you know. And sometimes we look at salvation like that. But in this, I want you to see, it begs the question, what is salvation, and what are you saved from? I think it's a valid question. Christ wants to save you. Will save me um, from what? Now church, in our present culture, we have become so comfortable with sin. And I want you to know, today we will discuss sin, and then we're going to get into the depths of what salvation is. But our culture has become so comfortable with sin that we really do not understand the depths of salvation and also the the devastating effects of sin. We haven't realized how bad sin is, and thus we can't understand how good salvation really is. And today, I rarely meet people that actually want to be saved from their sin. They will say, I want to be saved and stop there. They understand there's this Jesus thing, and I want to be saved by Jesus, but I don't necessarily want deliverance from my lifestyle. And here's why. We have, in our culture, even within the church, we play with sin. Because we don't recognize how devastating it is. Um, People today, they dress it up. It's not really sin, it's just this kind of a disease or these kinds of problems. And also, sin is celebrated in social media. It is celebrated in movies. Some of the most popular movies and TV shows you look into today, if you look at the rating, it is TV mature. TV mature means there's going to be nudity and a lot of disgusting language. Uh, But the scriptures teach that sin brings death. It destroys. We've been taught in our culture that we must accept sin and affirm sinful lifestyles. And if we're not careful, we will raise a generation of people who fully embrace sin. And we're on the verge of that literally happening. That not only the culture, but the church is embracing sin. John Wesley said this years ago, one of our theological fathers, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. Um, Several generations have tolerated sin, and here we are today. Now, sin has always been in the world. We're in a world filled with sin, but we've talked about sin, but I want you to know there is good news that Christ has come into the world to save us from our sins. See, Christ did not come into the world just to make you feel good about yourself. In fact, He did not come to affirm you the way you are. We are sinful the way we are. Christ came to love you where you are, but to bring you out of that life. 
that you are radically changed from that lifestyle. I have it here in my notes, not on the screen. The scriptures tell us this. When Jesus was born, the angel told Joseph to call Jesus' name, Jesus, which means salvation, Yeshua. Why do they call him that? Because he is salvation. And it says here, Matthew 1.21, memorize this verse. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is in the business of saving us from our sins. Even Paul would declare that, 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to make you feel good. There's more than just the love of God, by the way. It's because of the love of God that he came into the world. Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And identifies with that and says, of whom I am the foremost or the chief because he had persecuted the church. Now, please know this. Jesus is not in the business of accepting your sin or affirming it. Jesus came into the world to die, literally die on the cross. It is a historical fact. We have that weight of history that Jesus died on the cross. And why did he do that? To make atonement for your sin. Not to affirm it. Not to accept it, but to atone for. That means His blood was shed to cover your sins. That He would be the propitiation, a long theological word, which means that He is our substitution. He is our sacrifice to make things right with God. And Jesus, again, He's not in the business of accepting sin, but saving us from our sin. Now, another question I want to ask is, why would we try to beautify the very things that cost our Lord His life? If Jesus came into the world to die for our sins, why would we try to associate and beautify those sins? It cost our Savior His life. And it's pretty simple. This is the way I would say it. What is the situation? The world is in sin and it needs saving. That is what has happened with us. We've been saved and now we're part of the rescue mission. The church exists to teach the world about Jesus. To tell them they are in sin and there is a way, there is deliverance, there is where we will come to Christ and be saved. So three questions, if you were to be asked this, if you want to write this down or just chew on it today, I would think that it would be good to write down your thoughts on the, these questions. One, what does it mean to be saved? It's kind of like when Jesus turned to the disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, they say all these kind of things about you. Who do you say that I am? Who do you really believe Jesus is? And so the question also is, what does it mean to be saved? Now, we've dealt with some of that. Another question to ask is, are you saved? You could write that. Am I saved? And how do you know? And what are you saved from? Now, our scriptures today, they've already been read as dealing with Jesus and Zacchaeus, the Savior of the world and a chief sinner. Uh, and it's already been read, but we're going to go ahead and pray, and we're going to get into the message today. Lord, we love you today. We pray that your words, are, they're already anointed. They're already blessed. They're already truth. And I pray that we just receive your truth. We've exalted you today. You are the Holy One. And I pray that we answer the call to live holy as you've called us to live. That it's not just this, I'm kind of a Christian and I, I play with sin and I tell people I'm Christian and I just keep asking for forgiveness over and over and over again as I live in the world. But we are to have victorious life. 
that we are to overcome sin, that the Holy Spirit regenerates us and makes us new as we are being created in your image and recreated, and that we have this deliverance and victory over sin, that people see that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, that we are not just saying we are saved, that we are literally living as saved people that have been saved and will be saved. Again, bless your people today. Let us receive your truth. Let us have spiritual eyes to see your kingdom and you in all your glory and beauty. Let us have ears to hear clearly what you have to say to each and every one of us and us as a whole as your church here on earth. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. Now, we've come to one of the most uh, known passages of Scripture, uh, one that we drew when we were kids. If you grew up in church, the kids still draw these pictures. You always see Jonah in the well, Daniel in the lion's den, and this man named Zacchaeus. And it's so good that we had a song to go with it, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in that sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Isn't that awesome? You got to sing good theology in Luke chapter 19. Um, And so he climbs up in here. He wants to see Jesus. But there's something I want you to see first as we get to the point of where Jesus encounters Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus encounters Jesus. The first thing I want you to see is that Jesus is already on a rescue mission. That is why he has come into the world, verses 1 through 2. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Now when Luke writes that, uh, I'm going to talk to you today about the weight of history, the weight of theology, and what we believe. At this point, you had this simple verse. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And when it says that, I want you to know there's much more to that. That is Jesus' mission. He came into the world not to stay in the world. He was passing through. He would go to the cross to die for the sins of the world. He would rise again in victorious life. He would be ascended. He is coming again, but he was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus there who was a chief tax collector and was rich. And I want you to know this is the only time chief tax collector is mentioned in the New Testament. It's usually just tax collector and sinners. And it's making a point that you know that he is rich. And here we see Jesus is on the move. There is a rescue mission that is taking place. That is what we're seeing in the Scripture today. It is a wonderful illustration of what Christ has done in the world that He's doing for us, that He's on this mission to save you. And here it is. He entered Jericho. And Jesus, in the previous chapter, tells His disciples this, Luke chapter 18. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. It's up because it is elevated. They're going up geographically, but they have to go through Jericho on the way. And He tells them, why are they going to Jerusalem? So that everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. By the way, Jesus is saying that Old Testament stuff matters because it is speaking of Him. The prophets wrote of Jesus. For He will, the Son of Man, be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked, shamefully treated, and spit on. If you're truly living a holy life, this will happen to you as well. And after flogging Him, they will kill Him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Jesus is speaking of his passion that is coming. We have to go to Jerusalem. But on the way to Jerusalem, he decides to go through Jericho. 
And on the way, as he's entering Jericho, we have a map here, I'm going to talk about that a little bit. As he's entering Jericho in the previous chapter, it talked about this, this blind beggar who would cry out to him as Jesus is coming into the city, and he heals him. And here it is. Uh, you get to see Jericho here. It's in the red uh, above the, the Dead Sea, and you see Jerusalem there uh, just to the side. So Jesus is passing through, and he's on his way to Jericho. Now, this Jericho is much different than the Old Testament historical Jericho that Joshua and the Israelites defeated, that God just brought down to the earth. What happened at this time is that a lot of new settlements are built on Old Testament ruins. And this, this Jericho, it was acquired by Herod the Great. Now, when you, ha- you hear Herod or Herod the Great, it should take your mind back to the first few chapters of the first chapter of Luke. Herod the Great was the one who sought to kill Jesus. Uh, when, the, when the Magi, if you will, came and told them, we're looking for the king of the Jews. Where is it? We heard he was born. We want to worship him. And Herod wanted to kill him. So this thing has happened um, before Jesus. And also, uh, Caesar Augustus makes us think about Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem because of the census ordered. So this area, Jericho, was acquired by Herod the Great from Caesar Augustus. What would he do? He is a builder. He built the temple, the new temple, new temple, Jerusalem worship. And uh, he built um, aqueducts. He built a fortress in this city. It was a winter palace where he would go and visit. Uh, It was a stadium for chariot races. It would be like moving or going from Wyoming to Denver, right? It's all these kinds of big things. It is the big city of the time. Now, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector of this area. He's over many tax collectors. Jericho was a major toll collection point for goods passing east to west. What happens if you just go to the airport outside of Denver? You're going to get a toll bill, some tax collection bill in the mail. And they're asking you to pay these expensive tolls. But these things are going on. So Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector over all these other tax collectors because there's a lot of money coming through this city. And he is, as it says, he is rich. And Jesus is making his way through this city um, because Jesus has a mission. It tells us he has come to seek and to save the lost. But the question today, church, is how are you saved? So we're going to get into some theology today. When I say theology, it's the Greek word theos, God, with ology, or logos, the knowledge of. It is the study of who God is. Any given Sunday, any class that you're learning about Jesus in the Scriptures is theology. But I want you with me today is to stretch your theological muscles. To stretch them in our understanding of God. And we're going to get into the robust understanding of salvation. And at this point in my life, I'm looking back and how much I've preached about Jesus and so many things that we need to know. And I've done a poor job in explaining salvation. Because we've kind of said, hey, you need Jesus. You need to come and say Jesus. You need to pray and say you're tired of your sins and you want to be forgiven. But we haven't looked at what salvation is beyond that point. And what I want you to see is salvation is so deep. It, the height of salvation it, it is huge. The width and, and all of this is so huge for us. And we've only tapped the surface of it. 
And like I've said, that I could preach a sermon um, every week for a year on the love of God and I would barely chip away at the surface of this, the reality of this holy, loving God who wants to bring you into relationship with Him to save you from your sins. And so there's something we're going to talk about today and it is the Latin word, ordo salutis. Let's say that together. Ordo salutis. You're speaking Latin. Pretty cool. Guess what it means? It means the order of salvation. So as theologians have gotten together over the years, they're learning about salvation, they're, they're digging deep into theology. What does it mean to be saved? And when did it happen? When did it begin? And what is happening when you are saved? And what does the future look like for salvation? I want to read what Dr. Kopich says here about the order of salvation. He says that it, this is one of the many major tasks of Christian theology. This is huge in what we believe as Christians. He says we do this, uh, we do this, and when we do this, it is to uncover the spiritual and logical progression so that they might be effectively used in the church and application to personal lives. I'm bringing this to you today so it can be applied to your life and in the life of the church. That it's not just, I'm saying I'm a Christian anymore. It's not just saying I just need some forgiveness and I want to call myself this, this Christian and be, be saved. There's so much more here. He goes on to say the order of salvation seeks to show the whole design. The whole design of it all. And purpose of God's grace reaching down to man and in particular the steps in which a man relates to God that we are to respond. These steps begin even before conversion. That God was working long before you even said yes. And there's an ordering of these things. And they continue until final union with God at death or at the second coming. It began long before you were born. And it goes on and on into eternity when we are glorified. So I'm going to share some of this with you. And this ordering as we see it. You can take a picture of it with your phone. You can come back to it later and write some of this down. If you want, I'll share it to you. I made copies and we were discussing it in our college and career class today. The first thing I want you to see in the ordering of grace and what has happened is something called prevenient grace. Which means prevenient, which means goes before. It is the grace that happened before you were even saved. That God was working to save you. That you have a general knowledge of things in the world. That you recognize that there's sin in the world. It, lost people recognize something's messed up in the world. And that you recognize something is wrong in your life. And there's sin. And I feel like there's something else. And God is, the truth is in your heart. Did you know that? That God has written in your conscience, on your heart, the laws. That you know there's, there's wrong and right in the world. That you can see there is a created order. You can look at creation and you wonder and you wonder about this God. It is only until they started teaching there was another way. People always believed there was a creator until Darwinian, um, um, his ordering came along, which is a lie. Uh, so we see the reality and effects of sin in the world. And you can sense God's drawing on your life. He begins to, to draw you and you sense that. Uh, and seeing this general revelation, the second thing that happens is that salvation has not necessarily happened yet. It is happening. And there's a convincing grace when we respond positively to God. 
somebody invited me to church. Something's not right in my life. I've begun to pray a little bit, make confession. I'm kind of trying to turn away from some bad things in my life. There is a conviction that something's not right. I've done evil. And maybe somebody has invited you to church. And I want to stop right there and let you know, I think a huge portion of the modern church in North America is still at this point. They've not necessarily been pardoned and saved and born again yet. They're still awakened a little. There's convincing happening in their life, but they, not, they have not necessarily confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. And then there is saving grace. Uh, grace is the basis of all salvation. It was grace working before. It is grace working now. You are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Uh, it is a restoring to a right relationship with God. You are away from God. You were children of disobedience, and now he was restoring relationship that you have relationship with the Father. You are justified. The legal act that God has done something on your behalf, you did not do it. There's reconciliation. God reconciles us to him, making things right. Uh, adoption. Now you are a child of God. You've been adopted into the beloved, as the scriptures say. You have been pardoned. That means you have been forgiven of your debts, of your sins. And this is where a lot of people just say, well, I, I am forgiven and I move on. But there's so much more that is happening. I have been pardoned. Now what? I have fellowship with God. There's an entrance into the kingdom of God made. We talked about this access. We have full access to God. I'm being found. I was lost, I am found, um, I'm following Jesus, and that's where initially we begin to truly follow. At first we're talking about it, we're coming to church, now we are following Jesus. There's the new birth, there's regeneration by the Holy Spirit, I am made new. There's also a love that comes into your heart. I mean, I used to hate people, and I knew something was changing. I was like, why do I love that person? Ugh. But there was some kind of this... You know, divine love for people that God, and now I'm in love with God, and I love people. I want to be a part of his mission because there's new life in Christ, on and on and on, that you are saved by grace. Then there's an assurance of salvation, the witness of God's Spirit letting you know something is different. You are a child of God. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and uh, we're measuring our lives by the Scriptures and by what the Holy Spirit is saying. I'm reading the scriptures and I'm saying, yes, God has done this work and something is changing in my life and it gets better and it's growing. And here we see there's growth now as a Christian. There's growing grace. We would call this progressive sanctification. If you guys would jump forward a slide here. Growth in the image of God. Now, this is where we have fallen short in Christianity. We have started at the point of sin. You're a sinner. You need to be saved. And that's true. But here it is. We should have began before the fall. You were made in the image of God. In His likeness. And God wants to restore that. That you are made right. You're not only saved, you are being restored. And there's growth in the image of God. There's the likeness of Christ. That you're becoming more like Christ. That people see something different about you. You're not the same anymore. Why are you not living that way? People should notice that. Um, there's growing in reception of God's word. Now you're hungry for his truth. Why do you even come to church and sit in a class? Because you want to receive his truth. I want to hear this goodness. There's a maintaining of purity. When I say purity, we always think sexual purity. That's part of it. I believe in soul purity. 
I'm doing things that I don't do impure things anymore. I have boundaries now. I don't go party and go out guys night, girls night, those type things. I'm saying no to those things. I maintain my purity and the forgiveness I have been granted after conversion. Continued obedience. It's not that I obey and I disobey, obey or disobey. It's that I'm obedient now. I'm living a life of obedience. We are walking by faith. There is spiritual growth and more following of Jesus. Number six, there is conviction of sinfulness. So it's not just I was convicted and convinced of some sins in my life. Now there's a recognition. There was a huge problem. It wasn't that I just did some bad things. It's that I am sinful. And God wants to rid my life of that behavior. And I recognize the systemic and systematic evils in the world. Uh, It's referred to here as second repentance by John Wesley. But an awareness of the sinful nature and the problem of sin in the life of the believer. That even though I've been forgiven, I'm starting to recognize there's issues that need to be made right. Now here's an illustration. Um, A man who has struggled with pornography his entire life. Now he's confessed Christ. He's been born again. He is a new creature in Christ. But he still has these behaviors of looking up pornography. It could be anything. It could be greed, mishandling of money. And you recognize this is evil. And God has come to change that. And I see it as evil. I don't want it in my life. We see these things and we're being obedient as things are described in the Scriptures. Number seven, sanctifying grace. Sanctification. When we say sanctifying, it means being made holy. It is the word used interchangeably throughout Scripture. Sometimes wholeness, um, holiness, sanctification. Um, Wesleyans and our denomination calls this entire sanctification. They use entire because the scriptures use that word. It is a restoring of the full moral image of God now. Now, as, as we're getting into this, you're seeing that salvation is so much bigger than we thought it was. It wasn't just saying I'm a Christian going to church. It is living out this adventurous, wonderful life in Christ. There's a creation of a clean heart. And you sense it. You feel that the sins are being poured off. Your heart is clean. Uh, There's a separation from sin. In fact, there's a separation from relationships that pull you away from God. I'm still friends with a lot of people. And as I was beginning to pursue God, I was still friends with them. Then there's a time where, no, I can't do life with them anymore. Uh, There's a separation from those things. You recognize that Christ is the sovereign Lord. It wasn't just, just this good moral teacher guy who went to the cross at Christians. He is the Lord. He is God. He has saved us. He is saving us. And it's a reordering of my life. Everything that I do now, I take to Jesus Christ. Regardless if it's a career change, how I manage my money, how I interact with people, I do it under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Total submission. Entire consecration. I'm utterly holy holy because God is making me clean and holy. There's an outpouring of God's Spirit in your life. That you recognize the Holy Spirit is upon you. In fact, throughout the book of Acts, it would say they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you being filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you emptying your life of sin and being filled with the Holy Spirit and full of the Holy Spirit? This cleansing and a purification of the sin nature. Uh, Godliness. They used to be saying, they're godly people. Wouldn't it be great to start saying that again? 
There's godliness demonstrated in life. Perfect love of heart for you love people. You love your neighbor. You love people who are sinful because you see the destruction of sin in their life. You want them saved in an utter, total following of Jesus. It's all about Jesus now. It's moving closer. You're getting closer to God. This, this salvation is growing. It is robust. And an assurance of this entire sanctification. Again, the Holy Spirit brings witness In fact, the body of Christ can see and witness that God is radically changing you, that you are entirely sanctified. Number nine, there's growth in grace after sanctification. Now, the church of the Nazarene, they had people that they want to be saved. And then there was a sanctification service where people came forward and said, I want to be sanctified. The problem is they would still say, I was sanctified back then in 1950 or 60. It is a growth in your sanctification. I was sanctified and I am being sanctified. I am made holy and I am being made holy. There's a continued transformation living in the state of a holy life and purity. Victorious living, and this is what I want to share. Over the years I've gone to uh, um, men's meetings and prayer groups and you always have these guys that are saying, woe is me. I still live this way year after year. They're confessing the same thing. This is what's radically different in the ordering of salvation. You should have victory over sin. You can actually have deliverance over these old things. I don't even do that anymore. I don't want to be a part of it. I am delivered. There is victory in Christ in the moving and the transformation of the Holy Spirit. And thus there is victorious living. There is a resisting of temptation. Those temptations aren't even pulling me. I'm not interested in that. I can easily resist a continued following in the obedience or full obedience of God. I want to obey Him. I want all of Him. I want my life to be ordered after this salvation. There's growing implications of entire sanctification in your life. You continue to grow. It's bigger and better and greater than we've ever imagined. The the last thing here, it began long before you came into existence. And then there's glorification, the final transformation, that there is a true resurrection. You know, every time we do a funeral, I I come in here boldly proclaiming that this person has believed in our church. As Christians, we believe in the resurrection. A lot of people, they're like, what is that? We truly believe that we are going to be resurrected. If I die right now, my body goes into the earth. My soul goes to be with Christ. And there's going to be a final resurrection where the bodies are brought up from the earth. They're united and we shall be like Christ, a glorified body as he was when he was resurrected. There is the second coming. Eternal fellowship with God. And final redemption, the thing is complete. I am redeemed. But even when you get to heaven, I want you to know, it's bigger and better and greater than we ever thought. There's people saying that I don't want to go to heaven because it's going to be boring. Sin is boring. You do the same thing over and over. Living a life with Christ for all eternity is something we look forward to. C.S. Lewis grasped this really well in his book, The Last Battle. Um, they have died. These, these followers of Aslan have died, and now they're in you know, Aslan's heaven. And they're chasing him with this new energy and life. And they go, they're following him, and they're fast, and they say, um, deep, further up and further in. They've gone into the world, and they're like, yeah, we're here, we're talking. Further up and further in, it doesn't end, it gets better. 
And it's so, again, it is the depths of salvation is greater than we could ever put words to. Wider than we ever could imagine. The height is all eternity. And this is what salvation is. And when people say, well, I want you to affirm the way of How can you even live in sin knowing this is what salvation is? This is what I want deliverance being made pure and that when I am in heaven I'm part of who God is I'm being made new in the image of Christ and I get to be with him for all eternity with all my forebears and all my family members who are there a celebration for all eternity that we are made new to even experience the reason we think heaven is boring is because we are dying in the flesh we get tired our body is old and decaying but he has come to make us new for all eternity Now, I shared all of that today to help you see that there's so much more to our salvation. It's so much more than coming and and praying and saying, I want to be saved. It is so wonderful. The life that we have in Jesus. He has been working to save us. He is working to save us. He is working that we will be saved. And it continues. It is this continual work. Now here it is, Zacchaeus. Let's get into Zacchaeus. We talked about salvation. Now we got to deal with this radical sinner receiving Jesus, verse 6. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. I love that, that he's encountered Jesus. But at the same time, Jesus showed up. But by the same time Jesus showed up, he had been working to save Zacchaeus long before he met him. He had a mission to go through Jericho, just like he had a mission to go to Samaria to save the woman at the well. Jesus is on a mission. You see, there are some theologians that believe that the tax collector mentioned in the temple in Luke chapter 8, when the Pharisee comes to worship and says, God, look at me. I'm not like this other one. I give tithes and I pray and I fast. And the man that stood off in the distance, it says he was a tax collector. He beats his breast. Lord, I am sinful. Please have mercy on me. There are many who believe that that was Zacchaeus. And that's why it connects to here. Somebody is calling out for God. I need salvation. I need somebody that will atone for my sins as a a sinner. And here it is. Finally, he is seeking. Lo and behold, Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus long before he was seeking him. And Jesus invites himself into his house. and, And Jesus invites himself into your life, by the way. It's a matter of us responding and he receives him joyfully. God is doing a great work to save, but we must believe. We must receive him and respond. And that's the last thing we want to deal with today. There is responding and restoring. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. I love this because no one else has done this up to the point in Scripture. Everyone talks all this religious talk, and Jesus calls them out as hypocrites. He even told the rich young ruler, sell all your goods and give it to the poor. And Zacchaeus says, I'm willing to give to the poor. Jesus has been preaching about poor since the beginning of his ministry. And here it is. This man is actually responding. This sinner, this tax collector, this sinner is making things right You know, in the scriptures, it says that people were grumbling because Jesus went to eat in the home of a sinner. I want you to say, thank God that he comes and does life with us. Thank God that he's interested in sitting down and having dinner with sinners that they may be saved. This is what he came to do. He is on his way through Jericho to Jerusalem 
to seal the deal for our salvation, that he would die once for all. But what I want you to see here is that Zacchaeus has responded. He truly wants to make things right. There is evidence for salvation. God was working, he is working, and he is seeing this. Jesus sees this literally happen. At any point, Jesus could have said, I know your heart, this is all a show, but he doesn't. What does he do? He says, Lord, half my goods I give to the poor. The second thing, if I've defrauded anyone, I restore it fourfold. There's restitution. I don't meet many people today that say they're saved, that want to make things right, that they've done wrong to other people. And this is an Old Testament thing that if somebody had injured someone's sheep, they would give them four sheep to replace it. It is a fourfold restitution. It means he's willing to be fully obedient God to the fullest extent. And there's New Testament generosity that I'm willing just to give and give now because I have defrauded people. And what does Jesus have to say about all of this? Today, salvation has come to this house. This is real. Jesus was working in his life. He has confessed him. He believes and he is radically changed. Jesus goes on to say, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. This is his very mission. This is what I want to close with you today. Um, Jesus is still on the move. He's still moving through cities and towns. And he has come to Casper through the ministry of the church. And maybe He has come to your house. And the question is, will you receive Him joyfully? Are you saved? Do you understand what this means here? He has knocked on the door of your heart. Have you let Him in? Have you responded to Him? And if anything, church, today, let's embrace this full, wonderful and beautiful salvation that He has provided to us. Let's close in prayer. God in heaven, we thank You that this grace is so profound and deep and wide. And I pray today that we are beginning to grasp it. That we literally grab on. That we want to be saved from our sins and the destructible life uh, that takes place with a life of sin that we grab on to this deliverance that you've given us, that we understand that you're saving us from our sins, but blessing us with this wonderful life and salvation. And maybe some today have been convinced as you've worked in their life and they're kind of looking at a distance. But I pray today that they say yes and receive you joyfully into their lives and their home. And maybe there's others who believe, but they have not grown up in this salvation, who have been, uh, not been sanctified yet, where they're giving, that their lives are radically changed by your goodness. And I pray that they begin to do so today as we pursue you into this wonderful life of salvation. Bless your people as they go today, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, church, stand. Uh, are you guys hungry? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hold you off. I had another point here. I cut it off. Thank you uh, for being here. Go in grace and peace. You're loved by God, your church. Go and live saved. You are dismissed.